Hey guys, I want to take a second to tell you about our friends over at the Crooked Bend Food Plot Company located right here in the Wolverine State. Crooked Bend offers unique seed blends that attract white-tailed deer, turkey, pheasants, and more. And one thing that I can guarantee that you'll be able to attract is that cute guy or gal on the next farm over once they see how green your food plots are. Anyone who places an online order using the promo code Wolverine will receive a free Crooked Bend hat along with their order. You can place an order by visiting their website at crooked-bend.com. Love your herd by planting Crooked Bend food plot. Right, guys well welcome to episode three of the wolverine whitetail podcast presented by crooked bend wildlife food plot seed my name is bob and chooch old buddy we're getting back to the basics back to the basics back to uh the grassroots whitetail deer hunting so we uh we kind of asked a couple of our buddies some friends maybe some colleagues at work you know who are new to deer hunting what uh some good questions would be for us to go over and answer for them so we kind of created a list for you guys we're going to do it in two parts uh four different sections starting with hunting times and locations um matt do you think we should get right into it do you have any opening thoughts maybe some things that you've been working on this summer any scouting updates anything cool like that uh, no, we are getting weather reports for opening day and a few days after, so I'm starting to keep an eye on that. Of course, you know, every like hour I'm looking to see if the weather's going to change on opening day, which it probably will the night before, but uh, I got a game plan, uh, somewhat of a game plan, so I'm just excited for that. But yeah, I think we can jump into it. One thing I wanted to mention as, mention as we go through this, just so everyone knows, you know, we mentioned it on the first couple episodes that I'm primarily hunting all public land and Bob is hunting private land. So some of these questions are more geared towards one or the other. So there might be a couple of questions where, you know, Bob might not answer or I might not answer. So just something to keep in mind as we jump into it. Yep. So we're 10 days out from the bow opener here in Michigan stoked. So uh, let's get into it. So First question, when hunting public land, what is the best way to make sure that you're, where you're hunting is legal, a.k.a. not private land? Um, this person says, where I hunt it has a lot of public mixed with private, so it can be hard sometimes knowing which is which. So for me, hands down, it's Onyx Maps. It does require a small fee, but I personally think it's worth its weight in gold. It'll show you not only where every chunk of public land is, but it's pretty accurate from what I've seen. Uh, it has your typical waypoint features with every symbol that you could ever imagine. Scrape symbols, rub symbols, you know, doe and buck symbols, funnel symbols. I mean, you get the point. There's a lot of cool features that Onyx is constantly updating and refining. To me, it's kind of the only way to go. I don't know how you feel or if you use Onyx, Bob, but... On top of it all, it's got landowner names and addresses, just like a plat book would, uh, the old style plat book maps, in case you need to talk to a landowner for permission to recover a wounded animal that went on their property or et cetera. So, yeah, for me, hands down, Onyx uh, is, from what I've seen, the way to go. What are your thoughts on it? What's the what's the price for that? Isn't it like twenty five bucks for one state, or like fifty if you want the entire country, something like that? Man, if you just want one state, I don't recall because I get it through work, um, so I can't speak to that. I thought it was less than twenty five. Yeah. Did you say twenty five a month? I think it's twenty five a year. Yeah, I, I didn't know if you said month or year, but yes, it's it's a yearly fee, and it's not that much. And if you think about it. I don't know if you use Onyx, it's, you know, if it's 25 bucks a year, break that down per month. I mean, it's worth it. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. No, even though you're only paying, you know, you're only using it like three months out of the year, but still, I can see where it's extremely valuable when you do need to use it. Um, as far as the apps that I use, I'm kind of a cheapskate, so I look for the free stuff. Um, I've been using one called Hunt Stand. Uh, that one's free, and it's so far been really, you know, easy to use for me. Uh, I feel like it's better though if you do know the property that you're hunting because uh, the way that we use it, like me and a couple of my buddies, is we'll we'll mark up some of these properties that we've scouted before, and then the cool thing about it is you can share the maps with each other, and it it does all the other stuff like shows the upcoming weather forecast. Um, it's got this built-in thing called Hunt Cast that shows you like the wind direction um, throughout your hunt and how it's going to change. That'll help you rule out different spots, things like that. There's another version of it. Um, it's called HuntWise. It's another app that does like the same thing, but it's more, um, you know, pay pay to play type of thing to get the extended forecast and the other premium features. The cool thing about that one though is like when I was looking at it, if it if it wasn't, uh, it's like twenty bucks a month, which is kind of expensive to me, but. If I was going to use it, the cool thing about it is you can add your stand locations on there and it will calculate which stand is best hunting for a given time period based on things like weather, wind direction, stuff like that. So it kind of takes some of the guesswork out of it, maybe. So I thought that was a pretty cool feature. Interesting. I think uh, the more we talk about this, Fred Bear would be rolling in his grave. Just all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, this phone's going to tell me where the best place to hunt is. That's insane. Yeah. I guess if you don't really know what you're doing, though, it could kind of, it at least gives you a place to start. Maybe it helps you at the very least. It'll, it'll help you rule out a spot that you definitely shouldn't be hunting. I think. Sure. It's a good starting point. And, you know, you figure out, we'll get into it, but you know, the more experience you have, the, the more you'll understand how and when to use these apps right so moving away from the apps a little bit um what's what is the best way to choose a stand location or a tree to climb with limited scouting intel ideally you would have an area well scouted but if you're fairly limited on time uh like what's some of the things to look for so this is a loaded one that I could go on and on about, and I'm no expert, which is why we're gearing this toward beginners, I guess, to try to help them out and give them some insight, right? But in general, I guess if you're just trying to find deer and you're very new to the sport, in short, go out in the field whenever you can and get experience. And I guess remember the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results because looking back on my earlier days, that's exactly what I did. I would just like, I didn't understand anything when I was young and I'd find a freaking deer trail. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to hunt here. But more specifically, I would, I guess, start with three basic rules to try to follow. And this is just me personally. Again, if I could go back, I think it would have helped me get off the beaten path. Well, and again, this is public land. I'm talking about specifically public land. And maybe some of it would apply to private, but get off the beaten path away from spots that look easily accessible, no matter how good they look. And uh, the spots that that really stand out, especially in high hunter density areas, I just try to get away from those. Try to understand, learn as much as you can and locate food bedding and water. And I can't really stress that enough. I mean, if you can find food bedding and water i think you'll start finding deer and in the last literally two years i started really focusing the majority of my hunts around some type of water source whether it be just marshy area uh, you know thick creek bottoms or even whatever oxbows uh, lakes And I just seem to be seeing way more deer, not to say that they're drinking from the water source, but it just seems that I see more deer around water and play the wind, which we've already talked about a lot. But I would say definitely if you're new, just play the wind, use it to your advantage and go slow. 
Like that's one thing that I've seen a couple of my buddies not do who I think are at a point where they should know better. But, um, you know, when I go into an area, whether I know the area or I'm just, I see hot sign and I set up, like I'm not rushing through the woods always, unless I'm just trying to like kick up deer and like figure out where they're at. But if I like have a pretty good idea of my setup and what I'm going to do based on whatever, I mean, I'm going slow and I'm trying to be quiet. And when I set up my mobile setup, I'm making sure I take my time. I don't care if it takes me an extra 20 minutes. You know, if I know I'm like tight to bedding, that makes all the difference in the world because I think a lot of times you get up, if you're not going slow and you're in a, in the vicinity of deer and you're like, okay, this is the spot I'm going to set up. And then you go to rush up your tree and you clink and clank around, you know, people think that when they, you know, bust a deer, bust them, they're going to blow or they'll hear them crashing. And that's not always the case. A lot of times deer will just, you know, slip out the back door and never make a sound. And then, you know, those, those hunters may never know. They may, they, they may never know if there was a deer there or not. And I say that because I had a buddy specifically, I kind of set him up. We walked in slow to a spot. I had deer on camera at daylight. I was trying to get him his first bow kill. And as I crept away, he was climbing up the tree and making all kinds of noise. And uh, by the time I got set up in my tree, he had already taken a nap up there and he didn't see anything. And I did. And it was just one of those things where it's like, man, you know, you, you got to go slow. Uh, scout your aerial maps ahead of time. And again, going back to the pressure, no matter how cruddy an area of public land may look, if you think there's a chance that other hunters wouldn't bother with it. I think it's worth checking out or kind of scout hunting your way through. Um, you know, I guess if there's another thing is like, if there's, if you have a piece of land and there's, let's say a half mile back down this trail, there's some really good ag fields, like some soybeans in early season and it's bordered by swamp, which is usually good bedding. You know, it probably looks great to you on a map and it's a little ways back there down this walking trail but you have to keep in mind all the other people for however many decades and even now that look at a map and they see that and odds are there's people already hunting back there so i guess that's what i mean is just getting off the beaten path and don't always let you know i guess what looks what looks great don't let that always sway you know, your decision, like, oh, that's got to be where the deer are. Right. Yeah. And you're right. Like when you're hunting heavy pressure like that, if you can know what the obvious signs are and then know what maybe the not so obvious signs are, it's going to give you a huge advantage over everyone else that's out there. So for me, like, uh, say you've got a chunk of private land like I do. So I usually take a look I it's so say it's an hour away, just like my property is. I don't have a lot of time I can spend out there. So I'm doing a lot of virtual scouting and then past experience type of stuff. But say I want to hunt a new area of the farm, I would look to see where that prevailing Northwest wind is coming from and analyzing some of the other terrain features at the same time. Like for example, is the wind going to be, is it in a spot where maybe it's surrounded by a bunch of trees where that wind might be swirling and it might not really matter exactly what's going on in there, or you might not be able to key in on it so much. Again, looking into the key bedding areas and mixing the wind with those, checking for food and water sources, like you said. And then I, I typically look for like ridges or some Creek bottoms, low spots that the deer would use for trails. Um, from what I've seen, anything that's even just, you know, a couple feet lower on the property where they're not easily going to be seen in that higher grass, that's typically where they're going to cross from. They just feel safer down there. So if you can make like a, any type of a screen, that's going to help you get in and out of your stand easier. That's going to help you. Um, where was I going with that? But yeah, so, and then if you can see those trails and then try to find a spot on the map where those trails kind of intersect or meet. And if you can find, you know, a good tree or anything that's 
that's not where the wind is going to bust you in that spot. But if you can set up close to where those trails meet, then you know that you'll at least have the deer there for a second or two as they're crossing in those trails. That's kind of what I look for, at least on like my property. It's pretty easy to see where the low spots are from just a simple satellite area map. I know if you got like heavy trees and stuff, they, they tend to form a canopy. So that's kind of harder to see. But if you're hunting farmland like me, just check out those low spots because the deer are going to be using them. So that was kind of long-winded, but um, so the next thing is once you do find those spots, what's the best signs to look for and how do you identify fresh versus old sign? So the way I have looked at this question, you know, I trying to look at it as simple as possible. If there was a cheat code that let me see either every single rub or every single scrape or you know, every pile of droppings or every single bed on a piece of land. If you could pick one of those, I would hands down choose beds. So for me, that's the best sign to hunt, whether you're going after, you know, mature deer or just deer in general, you know, deer don't have to make rubs or scrapes. That's not something that they absolutely need to do to survive or use deer trails or whatever, but they do have to bed down and rest. So I think hunting beds or, you know, being in the vicinity of bedding areas is the best way to put yourself in the game, especially as a new hunter. Uh, recognizing fresh versus old sign is really, I feel like something only experience can teach you. Uh, but, you know, a rub that's, that really pops out to you, you know, there's little shavings, like small shavings of bark that are hanging off and, the rub itself looks really bright. I guess the only way to describe it would be, you know, literally looks fresh and like a fresh scrape wouldn't have leaves all in it. The dirt would be turned up. It would look fresh and not dry, so to speak. Uh, as far as beds go, I guess for me, from what I've seen, that's a tough one too. Like fresh beds that I've noticed will, you know, sometimes have hair in them or fresh droppings nearby, but also, something to take note of is what may appear as an old bed could just be a bed that's not used all the time. It may be used specifically during odd conditions or dur during a specific wind or whatever. So for me, it's just, if I, you know, if I can figure out where the majority or where a lot of the beds are, I feel like I can put the rest of those pieces of the puzzle together. And it's, it's something I haven't, perfected or it's not like I've ever scoured a piece of property and been like okay I know where all the beds are but for me that's that's the most important piece of sign yeah to go along with like what you were talking about where it just looks fresh it's gonna like it's gonna be bright the rub is gonna pop out on you and you see them on the tree like the bark almost looks like it's moist and if you get real close you might even find some like scraped off hair or like this time of year early fall you might even find some like velvet on there um that's going to tell you a fresh rub versus an older rub which is going to look more gray in color the the wood's just not going to look alive on the inside so much as like a fresh rub so for me uh one of the other like telltale signs i look for the, the deer tracks and like a well-worn deer trail i think like the rule of thumb right is like a four finger track it's like a buck track you look for the big you know, the big tracks in the mud, look for the, you know, where the, it kind of makes like a V, the hoof prints. If you look where those are nice and like splayed out almost, it indicates like a, you know, a big fat mature deer. Um, so then like, if you do find rubs, big tracks, obviously, you know, kind of, you get kind of an idea that the buck's around. And if you can follow those rubs, then you might be able to find some of that bedding that you were talking about. And you're going to want to look for like a big, um, a big bed kind of out by its own, right? Where doe beds would be smaller in size, uh, grouped together more, whereas a buck bed is typically more on its own, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's like we said in the beginning or we've been saying, it's all situational. I will say too, though, just so it's not misleading, like you were saying, tracks in the mud, like splayed tracks in the mud, something that especially like a new hunter may not realize is you know a lot of this is woodsmanship and recognizing what you're seeing in the conditions so uh you know you see tracks in the mud if it's like deeper mud or something where the deer is sinking down 
their tracks, like even a doe's track may splay a little yeah, bit. Like that's it a may good point. Splay out because they're sinking down a little bit and it's going to cause that pressure is going to cause their, their tracks to splay and get a little bit, bit wider. So there's a lot of woodsmanship that, that goes into it. But I think to your point, Bob, I mean, yeah, if you're talking like mud, you're just talking like whatever, you know, you know, fresh, if it's a fresh track in the dirt or like a little bit of mud just to find, like you can usually tell and also don't get, you know, again, try to analyze, like really analyze the situation. Like, is this deer running or is it walking? Like a running track might be splayed too. And they could kick up a little bit of, while they're running, they could kick some stuff up on the edge where you think the track might look bigger. Whereas if it's a walking track and you can tell the deer's like just walking along and yeah. you have a few tracks that are consecutively like and consistently larger, then you get a better idea for a, for a bigger deer. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, another thing like for fresh sign, if it, you know, if it's been pretty dry or if it hasn't rained in a few days and you see some sign that looks like it's wet, that's a good indicator that it's probably fresh as well, because obviously it's not the rain that's doing that. It's, it's fresh because it's literally fresh. So, yep. all right. What's the best way to determine that an area is not worth hunting? So is it as simple as if you don't see any deer sign, you don't hunt it? So there's a lot out there on what you want to find, but there's not a whole lot on what you don't want to see. Um, so best way to determine an area is not worth hunting. Is it as simple as if there's no deer sign, don't hunt it pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. Next, pretty much. Yes. No, next question. Um, again, these are all like very circumstantial questions, but that's kind of the way that I've started to look at it when I'm hunting public land and I'm, I've been seeing a lot more deer and I've been seeing bigger deer. Like I try to hunt fresh sign. Um, you know, if you see sign of human pressure, that should, maybe it's not, I mean, to me, it's, it's an obvious thing, but if you see, you know, littering, unfortunately, or just boot tracks and you want to go set up near there, I would probably keep going. I would look elsewhere. I generally, you know, generally speaking, try to stay away from like open areas, even if it's, I'm not talking just fields, but even open hardwoods where there's, you know, a lot of canopy cover and not much undergrowth because the deer don't feel real secure in there. Um, you know, when there isn't that security cover nearby and, uh, you know, security cover is essentially any type of cover that a deer can feel safe and protected in. And, uh, I mean, that's really, that's really the best I got for that answer. Yeah. You kind of stole my thunder a little bit with the security cover. Cause I've been focusing a ton this year on just like entry and exit, like having a good access route. So really on our farm, if there's a place that I can't get to in and out of easily, I'm kind of just going to look for somewhere else because I just feel like we've burnt out the same spots year after year. And it really starts to show like those second and third week of season where you just, you're just not seeing the deer anymore. And again, like you said, if it's exposed and open where we're at, if the wind is blowing, it's going to blow a long ways because it's nice and flat. There's, there's nothing to really break it up. So if you're over just like a a grassy field or something like that, and that wind is blowing West to East, it's just going to blow out the entire property. So I've been trying to focus a lot more on the wind and access points this year. Um, And then a little bit of the bedding too, like, so we we have I, I kind of mentioned it before we have an east field that's really nice and grassy and that's where a lot of the doe beds are at so i try to keep most of my scent out of there if i can so i really wouldn't hunt in a place where it's going to blow into that field at all and on top of that is there's not really any good trees or cover over there anyway so i kind of just and it helps to focus things down to where if you're not if you're not focused on the whole property and you can kind of narrow you know, maybe even 60, 66% of it, two thirds of the property, then you just, you get, you get better planning that way. If you can just rule something out, it's easier to focus on just smaller areas in my opinion. So. Yeah. And back to your point, you know, this question really wasn't about access and exit routes, but you made a really good point. 
like you've been hunting a lot of the same areas, a lot of the same stands in this private land. And you're talking about maybe switching up your, your points of entry and exit. And, you know, those deer have kind of become accustomed to you guys doing it a certain way. And then you're going to, you know, pull an audible on them and catch them slipping. And right. I, I mean, it'll, it, it should work. I mean, that kind of stuff does work. And I think uh, I'm surprised we didn't have, I don't believe we had any questions on uh, entry and exit. Uh, I don't, I don't believe we did, but that's, that's a huge one. And that's one that shoot, if we had time, I would just like to touch on because it's so overlooked and it's so crucial. So I'm glad you touched on it. If we have time, maybe we'll talk about it a little more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely something I've been trying to get better at because I know that it's been lacking in the past where we just go tromping through the middle of a field to get to a blind. And there's just, it may take an extra 15, 20 minutes getting back there, but it's so worth it to spend that extra time. You got to catch them slipping. Right. All right, man. Um, So next question, what are some differences between hunting in the morning versus the afternoon? And have you had generally had better luck with hunting one over the other? Okay. Uh, One big difference is generally the way the thermals work. And we'll get into that again, I believe. But uh, as a rule of thumb, I may not get this 100% correct, but regarding thermals, essentially your scent is going to rise in the morning and generally drop in the evenings. If you're really interested in learning, you're like, what? Like, this is a totally new spin. I've never even heard of this. What are these thermals? Now I'm confused. I would say check out. Uh, the hunt, the hunting beast, the hunting beast, uh, and Dan Infall is the moderator of that. And this guy knows thermals and kills more mature public land deer than, uh, anyone or most people. So there's a little plug, but, uh, to get to the root of the question, I personally don't hunt many mornings until we get to that you know, quote unquote, magical time frame around the third week of October. But that's because I'm generally looking uh, for more mature deer. If I know of a good bed or bedding area that I can slip into well before first light and the conditions are right and I have a good idea of where the deer will be coming from, I'll do a morning sit, like especially in earlier October. I'm not, it's not that I don't like them. And I think if you're, if you're just looking for deer, I think you should do, you know, it's not going to hurt you to do morning sits. People think that like deer just aren't moving, but I do think they are, but I think you just, you know, the evening thing, you have time on your side where you can go in there at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock noon. And you could, if you're mobile hunting, scout your way into an area and find the sign because it's light out. Whereas I feel like, at least a lot of people I know, they're like, Oh, I'm going to go into this chunk of woods and go way back here and like set up. And they're just like, they basically throw a dart at a map and they're like, I'm going to get to this area and I'm going to set up my stand. And they don't even know what they're looking for because they didn't pre-scout it or they don't know what's going on in there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then they just kind of make a beeline for it. Yeah. It's like, you're not like, so for me, like I actually plan on, hunting opening morning which i haven't done in a couple years but i actually feel really confident about it because i am in between two bedding areas pretty close and the way the wind is gonna be it's it's just super advantageous i think i'm gonna be in the action based off of the food and the bedding so uh again it's just a tough question to to you know, answer the difference between hunting mornings versus afternoons. I mean, mornings deer are generally going back to bed. So you want to be again, closer to the bed, but expecting them to come from a a feeding area. And then afternoons, you know, you want to be, again, I, I I try to be tight to those bedding areas, but they're going to be coming out to go out to feed Uh, better luck hunting one over the other. Um, I personally have probably, I mean, had better luck hunting the evenings or afternoons just because I hunt them more. 
you know, it's an odds thing. If you do one thing more than the other, it's probably going to pan out more. But yeah, for the amount of morning hunts that I've done, I'd say the rate of success, if we're judging deer killed and shot opportunities that I've had, is could probably be higher. Higher in the morning than in the afternoon? Probably, yeah. Just because I don't, until you get to, until you get to that like, uh, you know, late October time frame, then I am trying to do at that time of year. I feel like I know, you know, kind of what the deer are doing. I've been in the woods enough. I'm getting a beat on things. I have spots from the past that are good pinch points or funnels, and you know the bucks are up on their feet sometimes all day. So that's when I'm, I guess, trying to do either all day sits or just sit longer in the mornings and then taking a little break and coming right back. And obviously that time of year, like I'm not going to say all bets are off. There's definitely still a lot of strategy that should go into it. If you're, you know, if you're trying to be serious about it, it's not like throw, you know, throw everything you know to the wind because deer are just running everywhere. They're still doing things for a reason. They're just, they're definitely on their feet more. And I think for most people, it's like, well, that's when mornings become hot. But I think, I think you can find success no matter what caliber deer you're hunting, you know, in early season uh, in the morning. Yeah. And that might be even more patternable early season in the morning. Like I was reading something, I'm probably going to botch this totally, but so it says that the deer, they'll go from their bed to a quality food source around say 10 or 11 AM in the morning. And then they'll gradually move from there throughout the day um, out to like uh, like an ag field or something around 4 or 5 p.m., which is typically, you know, as it starts to get dark, that's when you're going to see a lot of deer when they're moving to that food source. And then they'll move back to bed within the, you know, the evening hours after that. I don't know how, how uh, close I am on that, but it's something something like that. I saw a graphic in a magazine or something. But anyway... So you want to keep in mind the time that they're coming from or going to their food and bedding areas, depending on the time of day. And then for me, since the morning is so much calmer, it feels so much quieter. I feel like I just, I spend a lot more time getting back to my stand. I try to be a lot quieter than in the afternoon and try to get set up before the sun comes up. I don't know why. I guess it's just like so silent out there that I feel the need to be even quieter. Um, and then yeah. another. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Like, absolutely. If it's quieter in the woods, that means you need to be quieter for sure. Yeah, and I feel like you know, as the day starts to break and things get moving, you know, cars get driving around, tractors get fired up. Like the deer are more used to that stuff going on, so maybe in the afternoon you can make more noise mistakes or movement mistakes where they're more used to that, but they're not used to it at six o'clock in the morning, jumping them out of bed, that kind of stuff. Right. So another thing about mornings, I know that this has been said various places before, but like the hard part about hunting mornings is they don't really end. So they can be a lot more frustrating than the afternoon when you know that the sun is going to go down eventually. So it's like, there's that mental game, right? Where you're like, should I keep sticking it out? You know, it could just, you know, two more minutes and that big buck could show up or do I scrap this and go take a nap and get ready for the evening? You know what I mean? Yep. Oh, 100%. I've in the past, I've caught myself slipping where I'm messing around and it's, you know, 10 AM and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to give this much longer. I haven't seen anything in a while. And then I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I pull out my phone and then it's like, there's a deer standing in front of me. It's like, oh, <laughs> I mean, just what an idiot. Yeah. I've had a lot more luck in the afternoons too. Um, kind of going back to what you were saying, but again, that's cause I've skipped a lot more morning hunts than I have in the afternoons, but it's just from past experience, even last year where I was out there a ton, it's just, there's a lot more deer activity where we're at in the afternoon. And I think it's because we have those big ag fields all around us. Yeah. And learn from our mistakes. Cause again, like there's a lot of guys out there who do this stuff who are tried and true killers and we're still pretty novice, but 
again, these were questions that we we picked that we felt we could answer to some extent. So, right. So speaking of mistakes, buddy, um, <laughs> why don't we change gears a little bit and get into the hunting philosophy side of things? Starting with, what is the biggest or most common mistake? you think that beginners make when it comes to bow hunting that maybe a more seasoned hunter would never make? And I guess we can kind of combine biggest and most common into the same answer. Sure. Well, I kind of just, yeah, said it. I make tons and tons of mistakes year after year. So <laughs> this was a, a tough one to answer. Honestly. Yeah. I guess don't think of us as the seasoned veteran <laughs> hunters who never screw up. <laughs> We're just yeah. trying to answer for them. No. Well, <clears throat> but you know i screw up a lot and i was sort of in the camp of you know doing the same thing year after year and i'd shoot a deer here and there but i you know i wasn't really learning anything and i think that's just i think you have to make mistakes like if you push yourself to like try to learn new things and get out there like you're going to fail and you have to be okay with that. You have to be a student of the game and you've got to be, I guess you've got to be comfortable failing and learning from it. If you want to really grow and after however many years, like I'm, I'm just starting really to get comfortable doing that, like screwing up and getting aggressive and I'm seeing more deer and bigger deer, you know, because I'm, I'm learning things. But I think the biggest and most common mistake if you want to consistently see deer on public land again this is geared towards like the newer you know bow hunter or hunter in general the biggest mistake i think especially on public land would be like presetting one or two tree stands and just being like oh there's you know there's good sign here this looks like a good area and just bouncing back and forth between them even if it's you know you only have a few weekends to hunt throughout the year i think that and this goes back to what i just said i think you because i did it you'll probably eventually kill deer if you put in the time but you won't learn as much and you won't be in the action as much Uh, i also think some new hunters don't really play the wind they read about scent control and they read about you know all these fancy this fancy technology and these new gadgets and they think they can be the next john eberhardt and beat the wind and so they just are like well i want to go there and do this and whatever with the wind i think i said it earlier but i think a lot of new hunters are just too loud getting set up or getting into an area and they're blowing deer out and not even knowing it uh again like i like i already said but i think those are some of the biggest things that if a new hunter could go into the woods and be conscientious of those things, I think they would, uh, they would be a lot better in the long run because they would not do it, hopefully. Yeah. So do you ever hunt the same stand twice on public land? Um, you, uh, I'll hunt. Yeah. I mean, I, I will hunt the same area. Yeah, definitely. More than once. Like, Last do you year, pick a different tree or do you just like if, it, if you find a good spot you'll set up literally in the exact same spot yeah i mean if it's a good if it's a good tree that i think i could kill a deer from and there's good cover like if i go back to that general area i'm not going to try to look for you know don't don't fix what isn't broken kind of a thing like yeah I, did it, I think i talked about this uh earlier but in like one of the in the first episode or second but i had a spot last year that I ended up hunting too too many times for me on public land is like five or six. Like at that point, I just feel like I'm wasting, you know, looking back, I feel like I was wasting my time. It's like you, you know, you want quality hunts. And, but I did see deer, I think, you know, five out of those six times or whatever it was, but I will go back. Yeah. I'll go back to the same spots. I just, it's, it's public land. I have a setup on my back. If I don't, if I don't think there's good reason to be there, I shouldn't, I really shouldn't be hunting it. And I probably hunted that particular, particular spot last year more than I should have. Yeah. 
I was just curious about that. Sure. No, I understand because I'm sitting here saying like, you know, I wouldn't hunt. <laughs> Don't blow Once. it out. But let me tell you about this time that I blew one out. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, but in comparison though, you look at, okay, I hunted, I hunted one particular Island. It was like a big, like kind of Oak Island in between a swamp and a, in a waterway. Yeah. And because of the way, every time I hunted it, the conditions were right where I felt like the entry and exit were rock solid. And I only hunted it on a particular wind, like a general wind direction where it just, at that point, it got to a point where I was like, man, I need to kill something. Cause I wasn't killing anything, but I always saw deer there and things just wouldn't go right. So maybe it wasn't wrong of me to keep hunting it because I continued to see deer there. Um, there was no other pressure. And again, I felt like it was a rock solid, you know, approach and all the conditions were right. But if you take those five, you know, I hunted there five times or so I probably, you know, so five sets in a season and I probably hunted in total how many other, I mean, I couldn't even give you a ballpark of how many other different places that I set up last season on public land. I'd say, I mean, I, I can't even tell you 20, you know, 30, I don't know, like a lot. So if you, it'd be different if I hunted that spot five times, but I only got out eight times, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the, the whole sample size of everything. I'm just trying to make myself sound better, but. <laughs> so for me, I'm thinking uh, the note that I had for this one was practice and I'm not just talking about shooting. Like obviously shooting is, is huge for a brand new hunter. Like you have to work a lot at, at your, your craft to, to feel confident enough to launch an arrow at one of these things. So obviously shooting, but I'm talking about not just that and practicing with all of your gear and then knowing what gear you're actually going to need out there with less being better. Obviously, if you want to be like even the slightest bit more mobile, um, I think a lot of people bring way too much out there with them. And if they were actually, you know, quote unquote hunting for real, where they have to go hike into the back country and, you know, where every little bit counts, they would be way overweight, you know? So I just think like getting comfortable with your gear, even like setting up your tree stand in your yard, like I've talked about doing before and trying to do it quietly and meticulously to where you're not just clanking stuff around, throwing it up and tearing it back down and doing it all safely. Like it sounds like a lot, but it's something that you want to practice. It's not just about the shooting and the killing. It's about like packing your gear properly and only packing the gear that you need to take with you. Otherwise you're just wasting space and wasting weight in my opinion. Hmm. That's a great answer. Didn't even think of it from that perspective. Yeah. So like, I'm thinking about it more now because I have to think about it for the first time, really. Like when you're hunting out of an elevated ground blind, you could just bring a backpack with whatever you want back there. But like, if you're going to be hanging in a tree, you start to think about that stuff a little bit more. Like maybe I don't need this or that or things like that. And granted, I'm not really sitting all day for the most part. Um, maybe I will a couple of times in bow season, but for most of my hunting career, if you want to call it that, I've been sitting like three or four hours at a time till it gets freezing cold and then you go back up to the house to warm up. So I haven't really thought about it much, but I'm definitely thinking about it more now that I have to be a little bit lighter and more mobile. Hmm. Do you want to talk about the entry and exit routes with this one? I think it could definitely apply. Um, as far as common mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. You're catching me off guard there. Throwing, throwing a curveball at me. I don't know. Well, I knew you wanted to come back to it. <laughs> I figured this was a good time. I did, but I mean, part of me feels like you, you did. I feel like I'd need to really think about it and give some like actual scenarios, you know, like I feel like there's certain scenarios where for me, I look back on and I'm like, well, that was dumb. You know, that was, yeah. Not smart move of me but now i'm looking at like particularly uh in a couple areas that i plan on based off of what i've seen uh this this past you know off season and things that i've seen in new areas and even 
things that I saw last year. Like I have some areas that I, I want to scout through and kind of mobile hunt my way through, but the way, and I think that other people probably like get back to these areas and check them out. But I think them approaching these areas, I think they're, they're tipping the deer off before they even get close. I think they're great areas, but you know, people are thinking, well, yeah, like, Oh, maybe they went in there and they saw the sign. They're like, what's well, a great area, but they're all using the same way to get there because it's the most convenient for them. And it yeah. may like a lot of work. Like you said, it might take an extra 15, 20 minutes. Hell, it might take an extra hour, but it all comes down to like, you want to get the most out of your hunts. So, okay. If it takes you an extra 30 minutes to get in somewhere, because you have to do this big loop or you have to cross this Creek again, like it comes down to quality. So I guess that's what I'll start off by saying as far as entry and exit routes go. Yeah. And I definitely think sometimes those routes, like the ideal route or whatever, that's going to take you an extra hour. Maybe I think a lot of new hunters might not even recognize that. Like, I think that's a big kind of a downfall there. Where, like, you can look at a map and say, here's the point I want to get to. I'm going to go from point A to point B, and I'm going to get to that spot. But, like, they might not know what features to look for or whatnot to not get busted walking back there. Right. Right, exactly. And, yeah, when you were talking about this earlier, I also thought of my – because I've already seen – I long story short, I – after our last couple podcasts, I, we had a downpour of rain and I had the day off and I got strapped up in my waders and a rain jacket and waterproof gloves, the whole nine. And I went out there in just a piss pour of rain and checked out this, uh, this area. And I didn't think I'd find a whole lot, but I did. And I saw some fresh rubs and I found some fresh beds, and I found the food source, and it is right next to a public road and a parking lot. And what made me, you know, the entry-exit thing, there's two parking lots within 150 yards of where I'm going to potentially set up, but I'm not going to park at either one of those opening morning, hypothetically, if everything, if the conditions are right and it. In all places, yeah. I'm going to park like a half mile away at another parking spot and walk down. And so it's just like thinking about, you know, thinking about, again, it comes with experience and knowing how deer, you know, how, how they are, what they're going to be doing and kind of putting the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, real quick for me, like I, I had a stand at the back of our property and I had to walk across sort of an open field to get there. There was really no other way around it. And from the beginning, I kind of realized what I was doing. and I didn't really like it that much. So this year, I made sure that at least on one of my set stands that I have like a nice trail leading back to it that's got at least seven foot high like screen on both sides. It's just like overgrown vegetation and stuff, but it effectively acts as a screen so I can just sneak back to it nothing's going to see me shoot up the tree and I'll be good to go. And I'm like two or 300 yards from the house. So it's going to be an easy in and out. I'll only hunt it at certain times and hopefully it all works out, but definitely exited exit and entry is something to pay attention to. And, you know, doing, doing things different, like you said, even doing something different, like you could think that's perfect. Just like I could think my, you know, my plan is perfect. And, you know, we could both just screw it up totally and kick up deer. Yeah. Cause we wouldn't think, but it's just like, you can't just be upset and be like, Oh, you know, I screwed up. It's like, okay, sit there for a second and think, okay, why were those deer there? Look at what the wind's doing. And then think about where those deer were. It's just, you gotta, again, it's woodsmanship for, for all the new hunters. Like you gotta stop and think like, why, you know, why was that happening? Of course, you know, when I started at, 16 years old i i wasn't a critical thinker so it was just like oh whatever you know i kicked it i kicked deer up, but i feel <laughs> yeah. like a lot of the guys that ask these questions are more around our age they're a little bit older and they're getting into it so 
it might be a little bit easier for them to pick up on, hopefully. Yeah, the most important part of making a mistake is just learning from it. If you learn from it, then, then hey, you did what you were supposed to do. Yep. So, all right. Um, so people often talk about hunting mature bucks and passing on the younger bucks. So what is the thought process behind all this? I know it's it's pretty obvious, right, where you would let the smaller bucks go and they would grow, be bigger bucks next year, etc. And then you have a healthier overall deer herd as long as you're managing the does and get more more chance at trophy bucks. Um, is there anything more that you wanted to expand on with that one? No, and this is kind of a four-part question, but um, there's more to it. But, yeah, as far right. as – as far as that part goes specifically yeah like the thought process to me is you know people people that deer hunt want to shoot big bucks so you know people are becoming more geared towards the qdma thing and passing on smaller deer which i think is great but um yeah that's that's the way i see it too for sure yeah and my mindset has changed or maybe it hasn't changed but i've become more cognizant of that as i've gotten a little older so there was a while there where like if I saw a buck, I was going to shoot it. And that's just because that's how it always was. That's how we were brought up. Sure. But a lot of it depends on how your neighbors are thinking, especially on private land. Like if you know that your neighbors are shooting all the small bucks too, it's kind of like QDMA doesn't really matter that much, but it's, it's all about controlling what you can control. And like we've talked about before, if it pumps you up or, we're not going to give you any crap for shooting it. There's no shame in taking the shot. If you were jacked up, just like it is what it is, man. I'm not going to fault anybody for shooting a deer. So as long as it's legal, you're good yep. to go. Took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so I mentioned like the quality deer management type of stuff. Uh, this is more of a question for you, but like, do those thoughts go through your mind on public land when you know that you're sharing that? with basically anybody who wants to hunt on it? So for me personally, they really, they do for me, but at the same time they don't. Like I, I've passed on a lot of bucks on public land, quite a few of which I actually wish I wouldn't have, honestly, looking back, but like those were personal decisions. And if I would have found out, like you just said, if another hunter would have shot one of those bucks that I passed on, I would be the first one to say, Hey, you, you need a hand, you know, you need a hand tracking it or dragging it out. Like again, hunt your hunt. Like if you bought the tag and it's a legal deer that you're going to utilize, I am all about it. So again, you know, I think it holds weight if you uh, want to personally shoot a mature deer, but that's like your decision. Obviously if you choose to shoot two small bucks with the two tags that you get in Michigan, you're not going to have any tags left to shoot a big one. So uh, on public land, like I'm, it's just like what I want to shoot. Like if I don't, and, and it's about like getting excited, getting like jacked up, like, Oh man, like I want to shoot that deer. Like I've had deer where I just, you know, maybe I should have because I don't have a lot of bucks to my name with my bow, but I just didn't want to shoot them. So I don't know. It does. And it doesn't, I guess. I don't really know. That's a, that's kind of a tough one for me. Yeah. It's kind of the same with me. Like, even though I am hunting on private land, it's only 40 some acres. So it's not like I have a freaking ranch to myself. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just a small parcel and there's people hunting all around it. And like we said, you can only control what you can control. So if there's something in your mind that says you want to pass on it, you know, by all means pass on it. But just know that somebody else might not be feeling the same way. So it's really wanna, a, it is really a tough question. Yeah. I want to make another point too, I guess, not to ramble on about this, but when you're hunting like public land specifically, I've come to realize that, you know, you have obviously a lot more year and a half old bucks than you do four and a half year old bucks. Right. I mean, that's yeah. just obvious knowledge because they're not as smart and they get shot. Odds are, no matter how many hunters are in the woods, public or private, whatever, but specifically on public, like, there's going to be deer if you're in a good area where there's good cover and, like, I hunt a lot of swamps, like I've already mentioned, and, like, nasty terrain. And I've found that year after year, 
those bigger deer are in areas that people won't go into. So it's just like, to me, like, you know, yeah, I, like I could probably shoot a couple year and a half old deer and like, I could still be like, or one year and a half old deer and be like, okay, well I can still like, I know areas where like deer are going to use like the, the bigger, more mature deer are going to be in there and not every single year and a half old buck is going to be shot year after year. So something else to, you know, if you want to shoot big bucks on public land, you got to go where the big bucks are or where they're going to be. Yeah. To kind of build off of that, like, so the next question is what are the determining factors behind deciding whether or not you're going to essentially shoot at a deer? And I think it's, this is another one of those situational questions, right? It's like all in the moment, at least for me. Um, this is where I get to redeem myself a little bit for that, that uh, small dose story that I told in episode one, where it made me sound like a psycho killer. Um, so I didn't really think she was that small at the time. And I'm not talking like a fawn or anything, just like a smaller doe. But one thing I'll say is personally, I have a pretty hard time judging the size of does if they're not in like a group. Cause it's like, my dad always has this old school saying like, just, pick the biggest one and you know to quote rut daniels let her have it <laughs> but uh it's it can be deceiving man like when they're out in that long grass 150 yards away and by themselves um for me so like with that doe that i missed last year and then the one that i ended up killing in in 2018 i watched them for a long time going back and forth like in my head playing mind games with myself and that's something that I've never done before with like a buck. I just know right away, basically uh, it might have to do with that older philosophy where like, if it was a buck, I was more than likely going to shoot at it uh, unless, you know, I don't know if it just didn't feel right or if it was a bad shot or something like that. But so those were both the, those does that I'm talking about, they were both in that late doe season. And for me at that point, it was more like uh, in both cases, I hadn't gotten a buck that year it was at the point where I really wanted to fill the freezer essentially. So I I don't know. It's not something that I really take lightly, but like if you're jacked up in that moment and you're feeling good about the shot, if it seems like it's going to be a clean shot and you know, then take the shot. Don't, don't think about all these other things. Just if you got a clear head and you take the shot, like I'm not going to fault anybody for that. So I don't know what your thoughts are, but go ahead. Mine are pretty simple. I mean, determining factors for killing a deer. Does it get me fired up? Do I want to shoot the deer? You know, yeah. And usually that's not a question I have to ask myself. If I want to shoot it, it's, you know, instinct takes over or it doesn't. And sometimes it's, you know, if it's getting towards the end of the year, you know, how much meat do I have in the freezer? If it's a doe, but I think I'm in an area where, uh, you know, I could shoot a buck. I mean, it might, it might just depend and like you alluded to, is it a, is it a good shot? You know, I've heard a lot of people say like, well, yeah, I'm not real confident at 40 yards, but if it was a huge buck, I would take the shot all day. And I guess I've never been put in that situation. So I don't want to, you know, a year from now I'll be like, oh, I'm going to eat my words. But for me, it's like, if you are going to take a marginal shot, I just, and I'm not saying you should ever, but I feel like a, a mature buck would be one that you definitely wouldn't want to take a marginal shot on. I mean, I yeah, it's your one chance. And so like, I, I'm saying this and I'll probably end up doing it this year. But for me, it's just like the determining factors, like you want to have a good shot broadside or quartering away at a distance that you feel very confident about. Um, those are pretty much my, I guess, determining factors for killing a deer. Yeah. And you've got no problem with, with shooting does, right? No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I know it's like a necessary thing to do, especially like it's part of like controlling the deer herd and all that. For some reason, I never used to be into it. And I don't, I don't really have a good reason other than being like young and uneducated. But, uh, recently I've come into the mindset where I would rather take a doe than a, a young buck pretty much yep absolutely absolutely it's been a while since i shot a deer with my bow so 
I got buddies that are like, oh, I'd shoot the first deer you see, whether it's a spike or a doe or whatever. And I'm like, I, the thing with bucks is like, I don't really want to downgrade from what I have killed, you know? So, and that's just a personal thing. I'm not saying that anybody should go by that rule, but for me, I don't want to, you know, go smaller than, or younger than what I've already killed. So like, I don't want to shoot a young buck. Same thing. Like I'd rather shoot a doe. Like, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So if you could only hunt archery or firearm season, which one would you pick and why? Uh, archery, hands down. So like firearm season for me is more of a camaraderie, like social time of year. I think we talked about this in one of the first episodes again, but yeah, I do love my, my new muzzleloader. Uh, that I shot a deer with last year and I get pretty into that once muzzleloader season comes around but archery season probably first 10 days and about an hour before last light is my favorite time if we're being really specific so yeah archery season first 10 days an hour before last light I just I feel like that time of year I can accurately pattern the deer pretty well the pressure hasn't hit them real hard yet. Cover's good, so I can get away with a little more as far as vision or just get in tighter to spots and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's just, that's, for me, that's my favorite time of year. And it could be my biggest Achilles heel, I guess, because once like the third week of October comes around, I just hunt so hard because I want to kill that deer that's, you know, that I have patterned that I, I'm like, oh, now it's all just up in the air and I don't know where to go. And I second guess everything and it, it doesn't help me at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, extending my hunting time a little bit now that I'm back in the archery game and, you know, maybe I'll even get a few warmer days and just not freeze my ass off the whole time. Like firearm season seems to go, but speaking like mostly from that experience, uh, kind of a follow-up was like the best time of day or the best day of the year. So for me, it's been all firearms, right? And I've had really good luck on Black Friday. So th with my work schedule, I typically get to hunt really hard Thanksgiving weekend. You get like those four or five days off right in a row. Yep. So I don't know if it's I've killed more deer because that's when I've been out there the most, but I've killed like three bucks on black friday over like the past eight years which is pretty good percentage for me so that that day jumps out to me as being one where i definitely like to be out there if i can unfortunately i won't be able to be out there this year we're doing something at work but i don't know maybe i'll find a new lucky day this year i think there's something to be said too about like that's that's towards the tail end of michigan's firearm season and yep Generally speaking, as a couple of Michiganders, like that opening day, I mean, it is tradition in Michigan to, you know, deer camp, opening day, guns blazing, everybody's out there for two, three, four, five days, maybe a week. And then it's like all the weekend warriors, all the hunting guys <laughs> pretty much go home and they're not really hunting much during that gun season after that. They might go out a time or two if they can, but I feel like that later part of uh, November, like real late when, you know, you can still hunt with a firearm. And I think there's not as many people in the woods and you get like a cold front that comes in. I think it's dynamite. And I know of a lot of deer that have been shot during that time frame. I've seen some really good deer during that time frame. I, I have never, yeah, I've never killed one in that time frame, but I mean, that's no surprise. So. Yeah, for me, that was like like when we were at the tail end of college and stuff, that was like the one weekend where I would be able to come home and go hunting. So I think it, a lot of it does correlate with just being out in the woods at that time. But you're it right, it's, like, it's almost like that second resurgence when the deer kind of come back out again after getting harassed on opening weekend. Yeah, and I think that deer do feel the pressure and they do respond to it in different ways. And they know, like they know, they're, they're very aware of a lot more than we think they are and don't yeah. get me wrong like opening day is great because a lot of guys aren't i mean don't get me wrong some guys are but a lot of guys aren't bow hunting like the 13th and 14th or whatever because they're at camp and they're with their family or their friends or whatever 
Yeah. And so opening day, like those can definitely be, I mean, that's a good time to be in the woods in Michigan, but I think like, you know, towards the later part of November, like towards the tail end, I think can be dynamite. Yeah, definitely. My dad's uh farmer buddy used to say, if you don't have a buck on the ground by 8 a.m. opening morning, you probably ain't going to get one. And uh, I'm not kidding you, like two years ago, that was like exactly how the script played out. My dad killed a buck opening morning and we didn't see a single one for the next like 14 days. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I think it just, it becomes, you know, yeah, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to blow your theory away by any means, but because I've had luck toward the end of November compared to opening day. To that point, I think that he's right to an extent where it might get harder, but yeah, deer can definitely be killed, but we all know that. So, right. Well, bud, you got any closing thoughts? Uh, I hope that we answered some questions adequately and somebody out there can learn something from it. And... If not, we'll try again in part two. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was a blast as always, and hopefully the uh, we we did. I will say we did have a hiccup there after like twenty minutes in, where uh, I was no longer recording. I guess so. I was trying. To <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to uh, throw some editing together and try to get that worked out. It might be noticeable, but uh, yeah, I think that's it, man. Yeah, we'll see what we can do with that one. All right. Well, shout out to the good folks at Crooked Bend for sponsoring our podcast. Make sure you guys hit them up for all of your food plot needs. And when you do, use code Wolverine at checkout to get a free hat with your order. And as always, hunt smart, hunt hard. This is Wolverine Whitetail. Whitetail.